You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman and this week's session of Healthcare Insight. What we're going to talk about again today is personalized health insurance. But in particular, I want to talk about risk segmentation as the critical part of personalized health insurance. Risk segmentation is not exactly a term that's commonly used in the general public. It is a little bit of an insider term, but I want to describe exactly what it is and why it's so important to your health, to my health, and to the health of your family. Now, what I want to talk about this personalized health insurance because I've outlined in detail in a book called Unlocking the Secrets of Health Insurance Affordability. And the key is this personalized health insurance concept. And this whole concept is ready to roll out today. So I want to read a little bit from an article that was recently published in the Georgia Public Policy Foundation uh, weekly distribution out to a large population in the United States of policy people, of healthcare people, of government uh, staff employees in Washington, D.C., and across the country. So I hope the idea is beginning to resonate with some real decision makers and influencers. So let me read from that article, because it covers some of the things that we talked about last week and some of the things that I've described before, but maybe puts in a little different context. And what it says is that many Americans are angry because Congress failed them. Republicans are unable to agree on a rational health reform plan, and Democrats struck out with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Now, let me just step back a little bit and comment on that paragraph. People have said the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has not put together a health insurance plan, and that's true. While they tried and failed because they didn't have enough senators at the time to overcome some of the defections that we had, especially that famous thumbs down that occurred, that kind of defeated the whole idea of moving forward from John McCain. What the president has done is he's put together a set of basic principles. That's what an executive does. He says, we're going to cover pre-existing conditions. We're going to cover health savings accounts. We're going to create transparency. We're not going to let anybody out. We're going to have more choices, more options. We're not going to have mandates that require people to pay a penalty if they don't follow what we want them to do. That's what a president does. He lays out the basic principles, and it's the legislative branch that puts together the legislative language. So the president of the United States is doing what he's supposed to do. Now, he can't vote on the bills. He can only lay out the basic principles. It's not his job to write the legislation. It's the Congress's job to write the legislation going through regular order of amendments, creating a bipartisan approach, taking in all sorts of ideas, 
yes, there are a lot of outside groups that will implement or at least input to the process. Places like the Galen Institute, the Goodman Institute. Those are conservative think tanks. Those are bipartisan ideas that come out of those areas. And they've put together programs that can easily be put in legislative language if they haven't already been put into legislative language. So there's no reason for us to be completely upset with Republicans for not putting together a plan. But we also know that what the Democrats put together have created enormous disruptions in the marketplace. Prices are going up, even though it's being managed better under the current administration. Deductibles are too high. So you have insurance without really covering some of the core costs that you and your family need covered. And you don't have choices. So why is it so difficult to offer a solution to the current dysfunctional health care system and give Americans the health care insurance they want to access the health care that they need? Why is there no personalized health insurance to change the debate on health reform? To show us how to achieve lower costs and outline a way to care for the sickest among us. Well, consider this. Insurance is based on the concept of risk pooling. That means a large group of people with similar risks that share potential costs. In healthcare, this would mean individuals being grouped into their health status, such as, and I'll throw out four categories, catastrophic, that is people with cancer and rare diseases, head traumas and burns. The second category would be chronic and persistent illnesses, people with asthma, diabetes, heart disease, mental health issues. Three, at-risk acute conditions, that is smoking, high blood pressure, overweight, and people who are generally well, that is, they have no claims, they're low risk, have good diet, and active lifestyles. Now, that's beginning to structure the idea of those listening out there to what I call risk segmentation. The reason you have risk segmentation is not to say, well, we're going to identify the high-cost people and just charge them a whole lot more money. No, it's really about risk segmentation in order to provide the care and treatment and information that everybody needs for their own personal health conditions. You can't treat somebody that's got a rare blood condition the same as you would somebody with asthma. And I've used the example before. We did it during this COVID crisis. With coronavirus, we wanted to give a special emphasis to the older folks that have comorbid conditions, people in nursing homes. We treat them differently to help them with the coronavirus than we would young people or school-aged children who aren't as seriously affected. That's risk segmentation. That makes sense. Why don't we do the same thing with health insurance in its entirety? Let's identify the risks everybody has, categorize them, and give them the help and support that they need. 
because it may mean different insurance coverages, different services to access. When we've even tried anything close to this in the past, all that we've really done is segment the population to try to ignore those people with high costs, throw them aside, cast them away. No personalized health insurance, as I'm describing, it says, let's identify and those people who are sickest among us, bring them together with everybody else, but give them this broader information, more access to health care. Open up the doors of the centers of excellence that can treat cancers and head traumas and burns and rare diseases. Those are the people that need the help the most. Keep in mind that 63% of the population are generally well. And they only create 12% of health insurance claims on average. Now, these people should have lower premiums benefiting from the healthy lifestyle and well-being along with others in a similar condition. So they should get somewhat lower premiums than the rest. Will they help pay for the higher costs of others? Yes, there will be some cost shifting that's incurred in my definition of personalized health insurance. But we're not doing a one-size-fits-all either. So the risk segmentation begins to structure why we want to segment risks, but then also how we would begin to structure a little different way of way we would help treat people. Now, 20% of the population are at risk and in need of medical care and generate about 25% of the claims. This group needs programs such as smoking cessation, diet support, nutrition education, prenatal care, and family planning. This group can reduce premiums by prevention and early intervention. So there's an entirely different need for this group to lower their claims. So we can lower the claims in that well category, but we can also lower claims in people who are at risk and have acute conditions, things that come and then get resolved and go away. Now let's get into the higher potential costs. 16% of the population are chronic impaired risks. They generate about 40% of healthcare costs. Those with chronic and persistent illnesses or diseases need significant medical care. Now, this group benefits the most from medical maintenance and stabilization. Those with asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and mental health issues can reduce premiums by following treatment plans and complying with their doctor's orders. So again, there's an enormous amount of cost that can be saved when 41% of all healthcare costs are generated from this group, and we know how to target and help them. People with diabetes who are treated in a more effective way don't get rehospitalized. They don't have to have their foot amputated. They don't go blind. It's going to lower the cost of healthcare dramatically in this population. Now let's take a look at the absolute worst needs, the greatest needs. Just 1% of the population are what I call catastrophic impaired risks who need all possible help and support. This group generates about 15% of health care claims. If these individuals were segmented into a separate insurance pool, 
All other groups would benefit with lower health insurance premiums. This group would receive proper care and treatment, assisted by state and federal premium subsidies, and be offered information and support for effective treatments. So if we're going to spend federal dollars, we're going to spend state dollars to help lower the cost of health care to help individuals, this is the population, the catastrophic impaired risks that needs that help and support. If we focus our dollars that are available on this population, we can lower the cost for everybody and give this population, this 1% of the population, the most need, the most care, the most financial support. Now, consumers have a right to be grouped with others who have similar health risks, good or bad. Only then will they be able to get relevant and timely information an appropriate level of coverage, proper medical care, and affordable health insurance premiums. So neither politicians nor industry leaders are discussing this segmentation, this segmentation approach. Why? Because it upsets the status quo. Some argue it's not politically correct and could stigmatize the high-risk population. Others say it's too much like the system we had before Obamacare, but it's not. Politicians seem to prefer centralized, one-size-fits-all approach. That's how we got Obamacare's single risk pool with everyone lumped together. But a single risk pool results in everyone's premium being based on everyone else's health. There's no differentiation based on health maintenance, lifestyle, treatment, compliance, and sometimes there's not even a difference by age and sex. There is no financial benefit or incentive to being healthy, getting healthy, or staying healthy. That's the problem with Obamacare at the end of the day. So it's time for Americans to insist on coverage, a coverage approach that acknowledges an individual's unique needs, personalized health insurance. Personalized health insurance is consumer-driven and patient-centric. This approach gets you the insurance you want, when you want it, at an affordable price. Is different from what has gone before because it lowers premiums for all who want coverage while focusing financial help and medical support on the sickest among us. Let's take a quick break and we'll tell you how all this really works out and we really can have personalized health insurance if only the politicians would understand the potential. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. We've been detailing the whole process of personalized health insurance. Trying to explain what it is. Now I want to explain a little bit more about what it is not and what's important about getting together an understanding of all the different players, all the stakeholders, and what their real needs are, so we can understand why personalized health insurance really is a solution that will work for everybody, and it's a solution ready to go right now. We don't need anything other than somebody in Congress putting together this program in legislative language, or even somebody at the state level putting it into legislative language because it can be done at the state level alone. It's better if it's done at the national level. But let's talk about the stakeholders. Stakeholders are people who are involved in the health care delivery system, the health insurance 
product development and marketing and sales area, consumers, doctors, everybody. So let's go through them and talk about what those stakeholders' needs might be. Then we can better see how personalized health insurance really will work for everybody. Well, everything's going to be focused around the consumer in personalized health insurance. So what do consumers really want when you get down to the core of it? Well, certainly the big issue that everybody's concerned about with any sort of transition from Obamacare is coverage of pre-existing conditions. And personalized health insurance does that, guarantees that. And I think that's a bipartisan acceptance that pre-existing conditions have to be covered under any program. That's a done deal. That's an argument that's gone by the wayside. We've had coverage of pre-existing conditions for years with self-insured plans that are under ERISA. Uh, You have to, by law, cover pre-existing conditions, maybe after a short waiting period or if you're on medications, maybe it's a little longer, but but within a, a... a year or less, depending upon your condition, you're going to be covered, even if you've never had coverage before, and now your employer is providing it under ERISA. So that's not going to be a problem for consumers. But also under personalized health insurance, unlike Obamacare, there's increased choice. People are allowed to buy what they need, not what some bureaucrat or what some government law says they need. So you can go out and buy the short-term coverages, long-term coverages. You can buy coverages with or without certain uh, mandates that otherwise would apply. Improves quality is what most consumers want, something that's going to improve the quality. Well, what is quality? Quality is certainly the expertise of the doctor that you deal with, but quality may also be the bedside manner, the waiting periods. You know, waiting time is as important as money because time is money. And so if you've got to wait a long time to be able to get into a doctor or the doctor doesn't accept uh, your coverage, then that's a big deal. So it has to be improved quality in a lot of different ways. And technology is moving us towards a better metric around quality, much like we do for other consumer products, whether it's... um, airline travel, uh, cruises, uh, purchasing of goods and services on eBay or Amazon. There's there's a measurement of consumer acceptance of whether they got what they thought they should get. Just keep in mind that consumers have not really had good quality in terms of bedside manners. And I like to jokingly say, and at least um, a little bit of a joke, is that in business, when your customers come in, you're put into a reception area. But in a doctor's office, you're put into a waiting room. That says a lot right there about what we've learned to accept. Of course, the biggest issue for consumers is lower premiums. And under personalized health insurance, the whole idea of risk segmentation that we've talked about before puts everybody into an area where they can get the best care to lower their premiums, lower their costs under any kind of an insurance program so that the premiums then are going to be lower. 
because everybody has a different need and a one size fits all really doesn't get to the root cause of somebody's condition to be able to give them the best information, the best help, the best medical care. And just doing that is going to have a tremendous impact on lowering the overall cost of health care. Well, let's go to another constituent in this stakeholder process, the uninsureds. Well, most people really don't know because it's not been a drumbeat uh, statistic that's been thrown out there. But even under Obamacare, which is supposed to give insurance to everybody, there's over 28 million people who are currently uninsured. And maybe during this pandemic period of time, more people have lost a job and maybe they've also lost their health insurance. But at least 28 million people are uninsured even before the pandemic occurred. What do those people want? They want guaranteed access to affordable coverage, guaranteed access to affordable coverage. So if they apply for insurance, they know they're going to get it. And that's one of the great things about personalized health insurance, the way it's been outlined, is that you will get insurance if you want it at an affordable price. What about hospitals? Well, hospitals are concerned because they want to minimize uncompensated care. You see, today, if you're uninsured, you get to walk into a hospital and they have to take care of you. You walk into the emergency room. It's a law called Intala that says if a hospital is going to exist, they have to provide services to anybody and everybody, whether they can be paid or not. So that can create a lot of uncompensated care. Even today, under Obamacare, under expanded Medicaid, because there are still over 28 million people who are not covered. So having a good health insurance program, having a good way to get people the right kind of coverage at affordable uh, prices means that hospitals will have much, much reduced uncompensated care. And those rural hospitals out there that have been struggling, uh, they're going to be able to get compensated in a fair uh, way so that those hospitals can continue to exist where today they're going out of business fairly rapidly. What about doctors? Well, doctors want to have a process that's a little different from the concerns uh, of many, but cut across the whole board of any kind of health reform. Because what they really need is what's called tort reform. Doctors are subject to lawsuits. You know, a good lawyer can take almost anything a doctor does or doesn't do and make it into a federal case for a big lawsuit. It's like winning the lottery. So doctors need some tort reform so that people who are seriously injured by malpractice can actually get compensation. But doctors who are treating patients that Things go wrong outside the norm, but it's not the doctor's fault. It's just a bad accident, bad illness. It's something that really can't be dealt with by any kind of a doctor, regardless of their expertise. They shouldn't have to be subject to lawsuits. And that goes hand in hand with the whole other area of lessening defensive medicine. Too many doctors are practicing defensive medicine because they're afraid that when they get in front of that uh, jury and um, lawyer says, okay, well, how did you treat this patient? Well, I treated him the best I could. Well, did you try this? Well, that's not really called for in the normal process, and uh, that wouldn't normally happen. 
Uh, well, yes, but if you did, they may be in that 1% where this would have helped, right? And the doctor's on the hook now for a multi-million dollar lawsuit because he didn't do something, uh, let alone he's on the hook for some of the things he might have done. So doctors need to be protected to actually practice medicine without doing unnecessary tests, uh, unnecessary services just to protect themselves in case of a lawsuit. What about insurers? Well, insurers want to stabilize the private insurance market. They would like to have a stable um, set of products, uh, stable premiums. They want to expand their client sales and their product offerings. And personalized health insurance gives much more leeway to insurers to offer multiple products and actually create more competition in the marketplace, which we don't have today. We have too many insurers, much like hospitals that have consolidated, much like doctors who have gotten into large groups. Everybody wants to be part of a larger entity so that they can better negotiate. They can have more power in that struggle for establishing premiums and reimbursement rates. Well, clearly the insurers need to be able to have more competition in the marketplace so the consumer can benefit. But the insurers want to have a stable marketplace, not an up-and-down marketplace, not rapidly increasing premiums where people can't afford it, and they want to be able to expand their sales and their product offerings. What about employers? Well, employers are looking for affordable group health insurance. They want to be able to cover their employees so their employees can be productive employees, can come to work happier and healthier and their families are taken care of. So employers, whether you're a small employer or a large employer, they really want a more affordable group health insurance and tools and mechanisms to help stabilize any illnesses or accidents or uh, chronic and persistent cases that their employees uh, might suffer. Now, to a large degree, very large employers have already done this because they're under separate laws, and they can have a lot more flexibility and can avoid some of the issues around Obamacare. So really the biggest problem, the biggest stakeholder issue that's looking for a solution are the small employers, those employers that are typically under 50 employees. They're looking for solutions that they'll have better products to choose from because they are paying a premium to the insurers to provide the products and services. And they want to have something that's affordable so that if they contribute something, the employee contributes something, they actually can get uh, decent coverage for that. They want to be able to have products like um, uh, HSA eligible plans. They want to be able to do uh, defined contribution plans with health reimbursement arrangements. But employers want to provide health insurance for their employees because it makes them better employees or productive employees and not just for the employee's sake, but for any family members. Be sure that there's not a problem at home with a child or a spouse that's sick or is engaged in alcoholism or drug abuse, that there are some solutions within the health insurance plan that can help uh, that employee. And finally, agents or brokers, people who sell the products, they want to have more commission sales. They want to have more products, different offerings. That 28 million people are uninsured. Agents and brokers would love to be able to market and sell products to them so they can make more money, make themselves more valuable in this whole 
ecosystem of health insurance. So there you have it. You have all these different stakeholders, and in each one of them I can point out and describe how personalized health insurance really can help them in their part of this ecosystem. Now, as far as you're concerned, imagine the peace of mind you would have if you could get the health insurance you want at an affordable price. So let's give a little bit more depth and analysis in the next segment of this program around personalized health insurance and how it can work. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Hang with me, and we're going to really get into some good material when you return. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman again, and we're going to be talking in this segment about personalized health insurance. We've really been emphasizing the concept of personalized health insurance. That is health insurance designed for you, not designed by some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., not a one-size-fits-all, but personalized health insurance so you get what you want to protect your family and take care of the needs, the health care needs of your, of your family. But the way you finance that health care that you need is with health insurance. So the health insurance has this overlay, this this door, this access point to get the health care that you want needs to be based on your needs and your choice. Well, let me start this segment by explaining what personalized health insurance is not. Because most of us are very confused about insurance. Uh, We have so many different types of insurance from health insurance and life insurance and property and casualty insurance and directors and officer's insurance and car insurance. I mean, there is insurance all over the place. Everybody is trying to protect you against some unforeseen event. And as a result, that's what you buy insurance for, to protect yourself against some costly, high-cost area that might be outside your normal budget. So let me explain what health insurance is not because I want to sort of clear the table of some of the types of products that are out there that personalized health insurance is not talking about. It's not talking about short-term disability, and some people call short-term disability weekly income. That's a different type of a product that if you're out of work, you'll get paid um, for those days that you're out of work. And many employers offer that as an, as an option or as an addition to the health insurance. So it's certainly related to health because we're talking about a short-term disability, and that's usually anything less than a year. Um, personalized health insurance is not about fixed indemnity. Those products are typically called hospital indemnity products. They will pay you X dollars for the for a day in the hospital, or they'll do it for 30 days or 60 days. They'll pay you an indemnity, and they're indemnifying you for the time you spend in the hospital. So it's, that has anything to do with the cost of the hospital stay or the services you get there. You're just buying a fixed amount of a dollar amount for how many days you're in the hospital, and that can help pay for uh, bills outside the hospital, um, a company called Aflac. Uh, that offers a lot of supplemental products 
um, are very big into area like what they call hospital indemnity or fixed indemnity products. And that's not personalized health insurance. Limited benefit products, things like cancer policies, uh, specific disease policies, those that are very limited in their nature, they're very targeted uh, that you want some protection. And too often, I'm afraid people who buy limited benefit products think that they have something that's more comprehensive than it's not. So there really needs to be good education around limited benefit products. Again, companies offering supplemental products can offer a cancer policy or a heart disease policy. The reality is that those conditions are also covered in any normal uh, comprehensive major medical plan. So you could be uh, double dipping on your premiums, if you will, and not getting the benefit that you really want. Also, hospital personalized health insurance does not include credit insurance. And credit insurance is when you buy, let's say, your car and you're making um, monthly payments on the car. Well, the the car company wants to be sure that you can continue to make those payments. So you may have to have credit insurance so that if you are unable to make those payments, a credit company will be making them for you. And sometimes that's uh, what an, uh, a car dealer will want is uh, credit insurance coverage. Um, insurance that's arising out of workers' comp. Uh, again, workers' compensation insurance. When you get hurt on a job, your employer usually has workers' compensation insurance that will help pay for your medical costs. And in other states, there are some other similar laws that are offered up by the state or the employers have to have. Certainly, in automobile insurance, and again, this gets into areas where a lot of people really don't know or understand uh, automobile insurance that's sometimes referred to as a part of what is considered property and casualty insurance. But automobile medical payments insurance, that's part of your automobile insurance. So you can sometimes pick various levels of coverage within your automobile insurance policy for how much would pay uh, for medical uh, coverages, either for you and or the person that may be injured while you're uh, driving your car. So personalized health insurance doesn't have anything to do with that kind of insurance. And also any insurance under which benefits are payable with or without regard to fault, which is statutorily required to be contained in any liability insurance policy or equivalent self-insurance. Now, what that last part is, is that many states have no-fault insurance. And so if somebody hits you, uh, they don't have insurance, your insurance company will pay for that. So any kind of insurance like that that's required by uh, state laws uh, for liability insurance, that's not going to be covered under personalized health insurance. So let's clear the slate of a lot of these little different areas that insurance companies and organizations offer up in various ways to protect people who want that kind of protection. So we don't want to take away any of that. There are a lot of different pockets of concern that people in business want to have, that people in their own lives want to have, um, uh, you know, a personal liability insurance policy that covers you if anybody wants to sue you as an individual. All those things are out there. Some people have them, some people don't. 
but personalized health insurance does not touch or reflect or change or eliminate or prevent any of those kinds of insurance policies at all. Now let's get back to the core of what personalized health insurance really is about. And it's about this, these two words that we talked about earlier in the program, risk segmentation. So you have a right, you and I, our family members have a right to be grouped with people who have similar health risks, good or bad. Because only then are we going to be able to be identified for what our needs are. Now, some of us may already know our needs, and that's fine, that you can apply for a product or a design and, and look and ask for help around your diabetes, asthma, congestive heart failure, um, all the sorts of issues that you might have. You want to be sure that your product uh, is going to be covering those things so you don't buy a limited product and miss out on the things that you really need. But only with risk segmentation are we able to really identify the things that you and I need the most help and information on. And we should be able to get rewarded and incentivized for doing the right things. If we're following our doctor's orders, we're lowering our cost of care and lowering the cost of health insurance because the claims are going to be that much lower. So there ought to be a sharing of that savings. The doctor might get an extra payment for being a good caregiver. The insurance company should get something because they're providing the services that are encouraging and rewarding and incentivizing and reinforcing good behaviors. And we as consumers ought to get something out of that as well because we're saving everybody else in this chain of products money. So we're the ones that are being compliant, so the consumer ought to be getting a significant part of any of that savings that they're helping to generate. So this whole idea of healthcare consumerism is really important. So if you're a health insurance consumer, efficient free markets always respond to those consumers to your demand for products and services and information. So it's time to try a system that's really focused on the consumer. And consumers ultimately will turn into patients under health care. We're all going to need help at some point. So it needs to be consumer-oriented and patient-friendly. That's what personalized health insurance is all about. Now, I think the best way to do this is not through some government mandates, some government restrictions. It's about doing it in a free market approach where we have competition that will actually meet the consumer's needs. But we've never really had that. Certainly, Obamacare was not about a free market. You and I both know that was a bad system. And we've been through the problems and distortions of Obamacare and previous insurance laws that were structured by Insurance company lobbyists and lawyers, they weren't designed by people who had consumer interests like you and me, what we needed, what we know. So all of the different factors, whether it's the way you sign up or the way you get terminated or notices that have to be provided, some states are stronger than others in that smaller group market or individual market. But most of these laws 
trying to prevent the consumer from really having any benefit. I know because I've been through state laws line by line, detail by detail with insurance company lawyers asking the right questions and finding out none of this was really developed for the consumer. So what most people really don't know then is that these laws and regulations were mostly written by insurance industry lawyers. No insiders, for them, limited competition and market share drives the process. They don't want competition. They want limited competition. And consumers are typically ignored. To the extent that they can ignore consumers and any laws or regulations written, uh, they're the ones, the insiders that are giving the politicians the campaign contributions, and so they're the ones being listened to. And we don't want to revert to that system. When we rewrite the laws around personalized health insurance, when we put in a national health reform or a state reform program, it needs to be centered on consumers and not written by those insiders. It needs to be written by people who are really looking out for you and me. So we can't let the insurance industry lobbyists write the laws in any post-Obamacare era because we'll only get shafted a second time. We don't want that. You are a consumer. Efficient free markets will always respond to the consumer demands if we set up a system that allows for that, that we don't let the insiders write all the laws that give them all the benefits. So personalized health insurance builds on the strengths of this country. It includes the efficiencies, the innovation, choices, and a consumer focus of a free market with consumer protections, patient empowerment, and limited government oversight. It does not include the least popular features of Obamacare, such as pricing distortions by age, excessive coverage mandates, limited policy choices, and single risk pooling. All that was a disaster under Obamacare and will continue to be a disaster until we replace it with something like personalized health insurance. Because if we cannot unite around a version of a consumer-oriented personalized health insurance, then surely we will all head towards a one-size-fits-all government structure that fails to meet our unique insurance needs. It's time we stand up. It's time we understood more. It's time we learned more about what we can't have and what we all need. Well, let's take another quick break, and we'll be back for our final session after these commercial breaks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment this week of America's Web Radio, and the program is Healthcare Insight. We've been going through a lot of details on personalized health insurance, describing what it is, what it isn't, why it's needed, and how a new system might be developed so that we don't fall into the trap of just doing more insurance company lobbyists, insurance industry, lawyers putting together uh, bills that affect you and me. General public deserves more than that. So let's kind of figure out where we go from here in this personalized health insurance, because I want to create 
a very simple example. There are a lot of opportunities to describe in detail how this whole system would work. And we've talked about that in some previous weeks. Um, I have a book that's available on Amazon. Uh, It's called um, Unlocking the Secrets of Health Insurance Affordability that describes the entire system. Um, Those of you who are on LinkedIn can go to some of my posts, and I actually offer up that um, uh, that book free of charge. Uh, You can even go to a website where the book is free. So I'm not trying to make money. I'm trying to make change, if you will. Uh, And you can go to www.personalizedhealthinsurance.net, and the entire book is there for your reading and review. But let's take this last segment. And let's talk about a specific example within that whole structure. And a lot of people get very concerned about how will we handle the individual marketplace for those people who don't get insurance through their employer, people who are self-employed, people who are contract workers that don't get the benefits of a small employer or a large employer. So let's talk about that for a second. Let me describe what would happen when we're talking about individual health insurance, because that has a little bit more complicating feature to it in that if you're an individual, you may not only uh, have issues, health issues around risk segmentation that are identified, but you may also have some financial issues because you don't have an employer helping to subsidize the coverage. So let me go through the process of how an individual health insurance policy um, would work, how you would get an individual insurance policy, how you would be guaranteed issue, how you would have your pre-existing conditions covered, how you would get the best care possible. Because if we can show that for individual health insurance, it's actually very easy to see how it would work for small employers, large employers. And certainly if you're uninsured, then the individual marketplace is the opportunity that you can get a product if um, if you want one. So affordable health insurance should be guaranteed issue, cover pre-existing conditions, and help the sickest among us with the most serious impaired health conditions. Now, I like to say if you're old enough, you may remember the old Wendy's hamburger commercial when it asked, where's the beef? Well, this description and this segment hopefully answers that question in the context of individual health insurance. So how would this personalized health health insurance help you and your family? Well, first, I'll reiterate what we've been focusing on. You are unique with different needs during changing times of your life. Second, your family's medical concerns will change from you being married to when you first have children to becoming empty nesters. At different stages of your life, you have different insurance needs. You adjust your life insurance. For example, when you buy a house, you might might buy uh, an insurance policy to cover the uh, uh, mortgage, a decreasing term life insurance. If you have children in the future going to school, you might buy some sort of um, uh, indemnity policy or an endowment policy that would accumulate to when they're going to school and you would have some funds for them. You may have estate needs that you want to cover with uh, life insurance. 
uh, certainly you have life insurance to protect your wife and your family against premature death. So at different points of your life, you have a need for different life insurance policies. Well, the same should be said of health insurance. At different points in your life, you have a need for different types and different levels of coverages for health insurance. So let's get into some of the nitty-gritty so that if you're an individual applying for insurance under this personalized health insurance concept, you are guaranteed acceptance for the policy of your choice in one of four ways. Now, I'm not going to get into all the gory detail of how the industry works that you get a policy, but let me give you an overview that has enough detail and structure to it so that we can all understand it. So there's four ways you're going to get your insurance. You're going to apply for insurance, and you'll get accepted by a participating insurer in this process of personalized health insurance. So, yes, they'll look at you. They will do some uh, risk assessment, um, stratification of your risk, risk segmentation, if you will. And you'll be accepted by an insurer, and it'll be a policy that you want with the coverages you want and an acceptable premium that you can afford. So that's the first way. And about 88% of the population in the past applying for insurance actually got insurance. So we have a little bit of a historical record from the old system of underwriting, uh, and we're not talking about an old system uh, reversion to that system. But the data from that system still has some applicability in saying how many people would be covered under these different approaches. Well, the first approach, about 88% of people who apply for insurance will get it on an acceptable basis for what they're looking for. The only difference might be that under personalized health insurance, you're going to have a lot more choices because you're now going to be recognized as a consumer with some financial power to buy the coverages to put savings aside to get the coverage you want. So the first thing is you'll be accepted by a participating insurer, pre-existing conditions, guaranteed issue. Now, the second is that uh, you may get rejected under this new system for coverage, but you don't know why. You're not really uninsurable, just the insurance company for whatever guidelines they have said, we don't want your coverage. Well, under this system of personalized health insurance, you can appeal that to something that I've called a health review authority. And if you're not truly uninsurable, and keep in mind, there's only about 3% of the population is truly uninsurable, then you're going to get a certificate of guaranteed coverage that you can take back to the insurance company, either the same one you got rejected from or another one. And the certificate of guaranteed coverage means they will have to provide you insurance. Cover your pre-existing conditions, guaranteed at an affordable price. Third, if you're one of those 3% that are truly uninsurable, you'll be accepted into a subsidized insurance exchange or into a subsidized impaired health support group. So let's talk about that impaired health support group because that is the area where if you are truly uninsurable, you need to be put into a special pool that's subsidized with state and or federal monies. And that means we've segmented out the really sick population, the catastrophic populations, if you will, those with expected high risk or high cost 
And keep in mind, just because you're high risk doesn't mean you're high cost. And you're going to get all the support, the information, the expertise, and the premium support so that your insurance is affordable. And by pulling those people into a separate group and giving them the attention to stabilize their costs, it means that the rest of the population is going to have lower premiums as well. But we focus our subsidy dollars, not the 87, 88% of the population that is now getting subsidies under Obamacare. We focus it on 3% of the population that is in real need because of their health condition. And we give them the best care possible. Think of that as, in this coronavirus, that, that is the nursing home group, if you will. Um, we're not talking about as old people. I'm just using metaphorically the idea that these are the sickest among us that need the most help and the most care. And these are the people that can actually lower the cost and have a better lifestyle if we get them the insurance and the information and subsidies and uh, the uh, centers of excellence to get the care for a cancer or diabetes or heart disease, whatever they might have, burn victims, uh, spinal injuries, this is the area that gets the most help. Now, with individual insurance, there's a fourth category. And that fourth category means that they have some financial issues. Uh, they're not Medicaid eligible. They're not old enough to come under Medicare, but they need insurance. They're not working or they're not working to make enough money. They're part-time. They're struggling to get by, and they're going to need some premium subsidies. They're not uninsurable, but they have some need for some premium subsidies. So with that group, the Health Review Authority, after they're in theory rejected or they want some subsidies for the premium, the Health Review Authority will determine if the applicant requires financial assistance. Then he or she will be referred to a subsidized state insurance exchange. This option guarantees affordable coverage for those who are healthy but in financial need. Now, what is that limit? Well, under Obamacare, it's like uh, you can't spend more than 8.5%, I think the number is, on your health insurance. I don't know if that's the right number or not. That's to be determined and structured. But the whole idea is that there is some limit on your personal income that would allow you to get some state subsidy. So we're focusing state and federal dollars on the uninsurable people, otherwise uninsurable, but they get into this impaired health support group and get their coverage. And we also provide some subsidy for low-income individuals. This would be a much better way than the expanded Medicaid that is under Obamacare. But putting people who are in need of financial assistance, it may be that area up to 138% of the poverty level. I'm not sure what that is. Smarter people than me will ultimately figure that out. But in this case, instead of getting a useless card, a Medicaid card that doctors reject, in many cases, they can't get the health care they need. In this case, they will get a commercial product out of that subsidy. It's out of an exchange, but it's not the government Obamacare exchange. It looks similar to that in some ways, but it would be a special level of coverage that people who have financial need would get, but it would have all the bells and whistles. It would have the reimbursement to doctors and hospitals that are consistent with commercial 
uh, reimbursement. So hospitals in rural areas would be able to get uh, reimbursement and stay in business where they go out of business because they have so much Medicaid and just expanding Medicaid didn't help their financial situation uh, much at all. So that's the overview. It's very simple, very direct. So the personalized health insurance stratifies the risk and is designed to meet your specific needs and circumstances, whether it's insurability or whether it's financial. And the process assures that regardless of your current health conditions and regardless of your financial situation, anyone wanting an individual health insurance policy is guaranteed one, even if there are serious existing conditions or financial needs. I hope using this example of an individual policy really addresses the concerns of the most difficult group in any kind of health reform that needs uh, the assistance as an individual. Because if we solve this individual problem, if there's an acceptance and understanding of how to do this for an individual, it's actually very easy and much simpler to deal with the small group marketplace and the large group marketplace that's out there that needs a better reform than Obamacare provides us. I hope some politician, some staff member to a politician is listening out there and can take this to heart and actually deliver real solutions to real people. I thank you for listening in this week. I hope we've had an impact. I hope it hasn't gotten too far into the weeds and the details. I hope it's simple enough for people to understand that there's a real value that personalized health insurance is a solution ready to go today. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.